You're listening to a sermon from Oak Hill Fellowship Church, located in Strasburg, Pennsylvania. You can learn more about us by visiting oakhillfellowship.com or finding us on social media. Now grab a Bible, a notebook, and get ready to be spiritually enriched by the Word of God. You can open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4. I was informed today that uh, the verses in your notes are inaccurate, although your notes are accurate. We're going to be in verses 12 through 19 today. And uh, as you're turning there in your Bibles, uh, we, we want all of you to have a Bible. And guess what? We got, we got pewback Bibles, right? And so if you don't have a Bible permanently, um, pewback, you know, like uh, chairback. Uh, Bibles. If you don't have a Bible permanently, that one is yours to keep. Just hang on to that. We'd love for you to have one. We want you seeing God's Word in front of you. We want you to have your own copy of God's Word open. And so we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 4 today. And as you're turning there, uh, I, I want to, to just share an update with you uh, about Early Rain Covenant Church, uh, which is in China. We had been talking about Early Rain uh, earlier this year. We had shared a video uh, about what they were going through and, and all of these intense, intense persecutions that had started uh, really back, uh, especially heated up back in the beginning of December. And so I just wanted to share an update with you from that church. Uh, these you can find online. Um, we don't have any direct connection with this church, but they are our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? And so we want to be knowing what is going on throughout the world in the persecuted church. Uh, and so this is, this is a, a translated from Chinese from that church. Uh, let me just read this for you. Um, church member, uh, and we're going to butcher the names probably because I don't know Chinese. So just forgive me on that. Uh, I'm sure they would forgive me too. Uh, but church member Gao Zongkan, with whom we lost contact while he was visiting a friend in Beijing on March 15th, was seen on March 18th at the Haju East train station, being escorted by multiple plainclothes police officers. His head was shaved, and he was handcuffed. We do not know where he was being taken. Brother Gao used to be a reporter. When he was 23 years old, he was imprisoned for 10 years for writing an article about human rights. While in prison, he was greatly tormented. He called out to God in the midst of his despair, after he was released, he came to our church and became a member. He, here, he found true freedom in Christ and in the gospel. May God protect him in the midst of his tribulation. May the Lord surround him with steadfast love and give him heavenly peace. For the past few days, brothers and sisters have been forcefully evicted from their homes and spoken to by police and national security officers. Some families are still being monitored and followed 24-7. Brother Lang Hu Ali and Brother Dai Zikao and Elder Li Zai Hu were sent back to their hometowns after being released on bail pending trial. Brother Gao and Brother Pan have been imprisoned again. Eleven leaders, staff, and other members still remain in criminal detention. One sister remains in administrative detention. Many of our brothers and sisters are suffering for the gospel, bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. We are thankful for all the churches and brothers and sisters who continue to pray for us and for all the authorities in power. For God desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. May we wait patiently together for the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. May we plant our roots into this soil together and bear fruit. Early Rain Covenant Church, Wednesday, March 20th, 2019. Let's just pause for a moment and let's just pray for that church. Is that all right? Father, these are our brothers and sisters. Those who share the name of Christ, those who worship the same Savior that we just spent time worshiping, those whom you have purchased by your blood and who will overcome by that very same blood. And we pray for them. We ask that you would comfort them. We ask that you would help them to stand strong. We praise you for their faithfulness in the Lord and we ask that you would strengthen them. Lord, would you 
stir up in our hearts a heart to pray for those brothers and sisters and to share with them in the very same sufferings in which they are sharing. May we be bold in our witness as a result of their testimony. And may we love you all the more, longing for that day when we see you all together. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Stories like that uh, sort of put the text that we're about to study today into perspective. Um, there are a lot of people in the world that are enduring some pretty intense sufferings. Uh, there's been, in Africa, there's been um, a lot of martyrdom in these past few weeks because of the name of Jesus Christ. And uh, do you just kind of ever wonder, when you hear stories like that, and, and when you see that this is going on throughout the world, do you ever wonder, like, how do believers face that type of suffering and remain faithful? How, could, how would I face that same type of suffering if I were in their shoes? Like, I wonder that sometimes. Like, like if, would I be able to handle the same types of persecution that they're experiencing in China? Would I remain faithful? But here's the deal. We all need to be ready. Because Jesus never promised that we would have an easy life. He never promised that everyone would like us. He never promised that, that everyone would accept our message. He never promised that we would have freedom of religion or freedom of speech to worship in the way that we wanted. It, like Those things are amazing blessings, but he, would, he never promised them. In fact, if Jesus promised anything... It was the exact opposite. He, he promised that we would face suffering in this world and that we would, in fact, have to hold fast to His name. None of us face suffering the way that our brothers and sisters do in China. Would, would you agree with that? Like, can we all just admit that we don't, we don't face that kind of persecution here? Uh, but all of us need to be ready to. And... and we need to be putting ourselves out there in situations where we actually would face some sort of opposition in His name. I wonder sometimes if maybe we don't face that amount of opposition simply because we're just not bold enough to step out and to share our faith in that way. And if we, we, we need to resist the strong urge to be self-protective Christians. Isn't that such an urge in your heart? It's such an urge in my heart, I'll be honest. It's to be a self-protective Christian. Even if we aren't suffering for being a follower of Jesus Christ because of the persecution that isn't really all that rampant in Quarryville, Pennsylvania, we, we do need to at least learn to face suffering as a follower of Jesus Christ. R really... That's the first indication that we would remain faithful in the face of persecution. It's like, how do I actually handle general suffering in my life? Even the way that we face cancer or a job loss or a, a financial crisis, all of that is a reflection of where we turn to find our hope. And as Christians, as we bear the name of Christ, and we call ourselves a Christian, God intends to use suffering to purify our faith in Jesus Christ. So in that sense, all of our suffering is Christ-centered suffering. All of our suffering is for the sake of Christ and His purposes in our life to show that He, in fact, is our hope. And today, Peter is going to give us the secret to suffering for Christ. The secret to remaining faithful in Jesus Christ. You want to know what it is? Here's our big idea for the day. Face Christ-centered suffering with hope-filled worship. Face Christ-centered suffering with hope-filled worship. If we're going to endure suffering, worship is going to be how we get there. And so you're looking down in your Bibles at 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. I want you to see this for yourself from God's Word. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. 
But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing We're going to face suffering, Christ-centered suffering, with hope-filled worship. You'll remember that Peter is writing to churches that are scattered all throughout the Roman Empire, uh, all over a section of of what is now modern-day Turkey. And uh, the year is AD 62-ish. He is living in Rome, writing from Rome, underneath the uh, authority of the Emperor Nero. Uh, Now, Nero is certainly not a guy who loves Christ Or loves Christians, right? At the same time, the time that Peter is writing this letter is probably not during the time when Nero's gotten really crazy about all that yet. Uh, It's before the time when he started like lighting Christians on fire in the middle of the streets and like where the real fiery trial literally is going to come upon them. Uh, He's not gotten to that point. At this point, the, the situation throughout the Roman Empire is probably a little bit more like our own rather than like the believers in China, uh, where, where there's kind of like isolated pockets of persecution. It hasn't gotten quite as hot in certain areas yet, but, but there is persecution for things like disrupting social norms because you're a Christian. There's persecution for things like proselytizing and, and trying to convert people to Christianity. There's, there's persecution because of misunderstandings about the Christian faith. And so their, their situations are varied. Some of them are probably experiencing some very difficult things at this point. Others, not so much. But they all need to learn how to face suffering as followers of Jesus Christ. Just like we do here and our brothers and sisters in China do there. They need to let the hope of eternity change their lives on earth, especially in the way that they face suffering. And so throughout this section, we see three worship responses to suffering. Three worship responses to suffering. The first is this, rejoice. Rejoice. Suffering can bring you closer to Christ. That's why we rejoice. Suffering can bring you closer to Christ. So look down at verse 12 again. Uh, Peter writes, Beloved, loved ones, the ones that I care about, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you, as though something strange were happening to you. Let me ask you a question. It's one that I've been pondering a lot this week. Do you see suffering as an interruption to God's plan or as the fulfillment of God's plan? Do you see suffering as an interruption to God's plan or as the fulfillment to God's plan? Do you see suffering as something that that you need to escape from in order to find Hope on the other side. As soon as you get out from underneath that suffering, that's where you're going to find hope. So, so like you were going all, all along in your life and things were going pretty well. Things were going according to God's plan until this suffering entered in. And, 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 uh, and that kind of interrupted things. And, and God's plan was on track. But now I, I just got to get over this hurdle. And then, and then we'll get back onto God's plan. Is that the way that you view it? Or or do you view suffering as the fulfillment of God's plan? That, that your suffering is actually the thing that God is using to purify your faith and to bring you closer to Him and to get you through to the end. 
Peter demonstrates for us that suffering is actually part of the fulfillment of God's plan. Do not be surprised, he says. Uh, This is nothing strange that the fiery trial has come upon you. It's come upon you. Do you see it there in verse 12? It's come upon you to test you. To test you. This is an intentional test. Now this word for test uh, carries with it the assumption that you are going to pass the test. That, that, that's the way that the Greek is worded. That, that you are going to pass the test. So this is not like God giving you a pop quiz to prove that you didn't do your homework so that you can say, ah, got you there. You're a failure. Look at you. No, no, no. He's testing you so that he can demonstrate that the rock solid source of your faith is Jesus Christ. He's giving you a test so that what is true about Christ becomes all the more clear to you. That Jesus Christ is our only hope. And and, and suffering, removing those things that are comfortable, that you're flesh wants to find hope in suffering is God's plan to bring about maximum faith that results in maximum glory and joy at the return of Jesus Christ. Our hope is not in our ability to escape suffering, but in our commitment to grow closer to Christ through it. Let me say that again. Our hope is not in our ability to escape suffering, but in our commitments to grow closer to Christ through it. So look at verse 13. He says, But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Or or some translations say, insofar as you participate or fellowship in Christ's sufferings, that you may rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. As we suffer for Christ and With Christ, we grow closer to Him. That's what Peter means by by share in his sufferings. The same word is the the root word for the word fellowship. That that we fellowship with Christ in His sufferings. You you see, suffering builds solidarity. Suffering builds solidarity. So have you ever experienced this like you you go through something that is really really difficult and it brings you closer together with other people who have had that same experience so so maybe you've been in a a really bad car accident or your your home is caught on fire and and the people that you were with you're, you're all the more close to them because you've been through that or even somebody who's had a similar experience you can relate to one another or, or, or maybe you were going through a cancer treatment with somebody at the same time. Or, or you were deployed in a military war zone. And, and there's a, a brotherhood that's formed because of that. Or maybe it was even something more simple, like, like surviving a hard class in high school or college. And you're just like, we got through that together, people! The shared experience of suffering builds solidarity. It, it builds a common bond. And as we and we got to realize that we serve a savior who suffered. We serve a savior who suffered. Suffering should be no surprise to us when we look at the one whom we follow. If he didn't escape it, we shouldn't expect to either. The son of God took on full humanity. He took on the fullness of human suffering. Isaiah 53, 3, one of my favorite verses, says this, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. At different points of his life, Jesus was sick. He was poor. He was homeless. He was hungry. He was tired. He was opposed. He was betrayed. He was abandoned. He was sad beyond measure. Even depressed. He was abused. He was put to death. There is no suffering that Jesus didn't face in some general way. There is no human suffering that Jesus can't identify with in your life in some way. And isn't that a comfort to you? Doesn't that make you feel a closeness to Him? 
that, that whatever I'm going through, Jesus went there first. Like, especially when you suffer for standing with Him against the culture that is opposed to Him. If you were to lose a friendship because you spoke the truth and love to your friend and you told them that they, that they needed to turn from their sin and trust in Jesus as their only hope, like Jesus has been there. If someone severely lets you down because you, you thought that they were following after Christ, but they, they, they proved that they really weren't, and you kind of feel betrayed by that, like, like you realize Jesus was betrayed. He went through the exact same thing. And when we experience suffering, we are reminded that we are not alone, that Jesus Christ shared in our sufferings so that we could share in His. We see this in verse 14 too, in just a little bit of a different way. He, said, he gives a, a more specific example. He says, If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of God, glory and of God rests upon you. So if you suffer... For bearing Christ's name, you can consider that a blessing. Because you can know that the Spirit of God Himself is meeting you in that place. He's with you in that moment. He's bringing you comfort. He's bringing you wisdom. He's bringing you power. When you reflect the character of Christ and you stand with Him as His follower, it is proof that the Holy Spirit is active in your life. The way that those Chinese believers are standing with Jesus and remaining faithful to Him and able to write those things about praising Him and looking forward to His coming isn't necessarily because they are some brand of super-Christian. I mean, certainly they are holding fast to their faith and they are remaining faithful in Christ. But it is the Spirit of glory that is blessing them and keeping them and empowering them to keep going. And it's the same Spirit of glory who has been given to us to bless us and keep us and hold us fast through any form of suffering. Suffering for Christ and with Christ is how God proves His presence with you. He draws near to the righteous sufferer. He draws near to the one who calls out to Him in faith. And brings comfort and supernatural power. He builds our faith through nothing less than His presence. Suffering can bring us closer to Christ. Now, I want you to notice how I'm wording these points. All three of them are going to be worded the same way. Uh, Suffering can bring you closer to Christ. And I've worded that very intentionally because it's not a guarantee. It's not a guarantee that that your suffering is going to bring you closer to Christ. And how we view suffering is going to make all the difference. Am I going to allow my suffering to bring me closer to Christ? Or am I going to stiff arm Him and reject Him and seek some other form of hope in the middle of it? Like if I, I look at my suffering and I think that it's an interruption to God's plan, if I'm surprised by it, like Peter talked about, I'm going to miss out on the blessing of seeing God at work through it. I'm going to spend all of my energy trying to escape that suffering and trying to get on the other side of, the, uh, of it. I'm going to miss the sweet communion with the Spirit of God who wants to show up in a unique way in my trial. That closeness with Christ is what brings joy that is untouched by our sorrows. That's why Peter commands this response for our suffering. Rejoice. Rejoice. Does that seem like a strange command to anybody in the face of suffering? We face suffering with worship, with rejoicing. Rejoicing when we suffer demonstrates what is most precious to us. That we have a relationship with Jesus. You see, the reason suffering brings us closer to Christ is that it breaks our hope on anything else and it makes Jesus the most precious to us. Suffering shows how futile it is to put ultimate hope in ourselves, how futile it is to put ultimate hope in other people or in our government. Imagine the Chinese trying to put ultimate hope in their government. 
Suffering shows how futile it is to put ultimate hope in our bodies. It breaks our dependence upon our idols. And it brings us closer to Jesus as our only source of hope. Rejoicing when we suffer demonstrates that, our, that we value our relationship with Jesus above the pain and the loss of whatever we are experiencing. And so Paul wrote this to the Philippians. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Let me just ask you, do you long to know Christ like that? That every loss in this life is worth it if you get to know Jesus. That all I want to do is share in His sufferings so that I may also know the power of His resurrection. Peter says that when you rejoice now in your sufferings, you can know that you will rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. Suffering melts away every false source of hope so that only Christ remains. That's why you can rejoice in the face of suffering. It's not so much that like, oh, this suffering is great. I love it. No, no, no. It's because you know that it is bringing you closer to Jesus Christ. It's so important that we learn to worship like this in our suffering. That we learn to say like, God, this is really, really hard. But I know that you are near me. And I know that you have a plan. And I know that you are everything. That type of worship has a strengthening effect on our hearts. It reminds us of what is true. And what is most important. We need words like that in our prayers. We need words like that in our singing. And look, I, I realize that I'm not using worship here synonymously with singing or, or with what we do on a Sunday morning. Worship is much bigger than that, but it does include that, right? And, and sometimes our singing can be a, a great help in this area. A lot of times it gives us words and a voice for rejoicing when we can't find that voice ourselves. And so songs like, It is well with my soul. Or Christ is mine forevermore that we're going to sing at the end of this service. can be sweet reminders that we get to fellowship with Christ in our sufferings. And we will fellowship with Him throughout all eternity. It strengthens our hearts when we sing things like, Though Satan should buffet and trials may come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed His own blood for my soul. Do you have a few songs like that that are your go-to? I'd encourage you, think through and like make a playlist. <laughs> think, and, and play it on repeat so that when your time of suffering comes, you have the words to sing when you can't find them yourself. Rejoice like that in the face of suffering because it's going to bring you closer to Christ. Now, it's important to realize that that not all types of suffering bring us closer to Christ either. Look at verse 15. He says, But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. So, suffering that comes as a result of your own sin doesn't really bring glory to God. Like, that's, that's just what you deserve. It, it actually harms our witness. But suffering in the name of Christ can bring great glory to God. And so here's the second worship response. Uh, glorify. Suffering can benefit your witness for Christ. Glorify. Suffering can benefit your witness for Christ. Peter doesn't want the believers running around thinking that as long as they just produce some sort of suffering, any type of suffering, that they're going to share in Christ's sufferings. He doesn't want them murdering. So that's good. I'm really glad that we have that established, right? Like, 
He, he doesn't want them to be thieves. So if they steal from their job and they get fired, he, he doesn't want them to be able to say like, oh, I just feel so close to Christ right now. He, he knows exactly what I'm going through. He, he felt this too. Like, no, no, no. Jesus was sinless in his suffering. In fact, you need the suffering of Jesus to stand in your place at that point because of your sin. Peter doesn't want the churches performing any other type of crime. That's what's behind that word, evildoers. He doesn't want them to be busy, bodily meddlers, just kind of stirring up trouble with people. I think that people do that sometimes in the name of witnessing. Like they just like to poke people's buttons and, and, and get people all riled up and they like to start a good argument and, and they don't really care about the person coming to know Jesus. It's just that they look right and better than the other person. And that gets them in trouble a lot. And then they think, oh man, I'm sharing in the sufferings of Jesus right now. Man, this is, this is tough. No, you're just ignorant. And you're just getting what you deserve. Suffering should not stem from sinful behavior that would not represent Christ well. It should stem from our identification with who He is and what He has done. He says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, as a Christian. Did you know that the name Christian was originally intended to be a put-down? It was an insult. The first Christians, believers, referred to themselves as disciples. They referred to themselves as the way. And the term Christian uh, was actually coined by outsiders in Antioch who, who looked and said, look at all those people who think they're like Jesus. Look, look at all those people who say they're, they're followers of Christ. It really just means follower of Christ or, or one who identifies with Christ. And it's a way of saying, like, they look and smell a lot like that Jesus guy. And so the outsiders would use it like this. They're like, look at that Christian. Ha <laughs> ha, they're, they're so weird. They, they eat bread and they call it a body. And they drink wine and they call it blood. And, and, and they, they're always getting together on Sundays like, like they're cool or something. Um, they, they, they don't jump into our fun stuff ever. It's like, well, who do they think they are? Like stinking Christians. But Peter says, what better thing could you possibly call me? Like, yeah, I want to be just like Jesus. I'm going to wear that proudly. Wear that proudly. And so their attempt to afflict emotional suffering and pain is actually our opportunity to witness. We get to say, look, Jesus is everything to me. He's my Savior and Lord. He, the old Part of me is dead. The Spirit of God is alive in me. So He's my hope and my future. I don't care what I'm going through. He's, there. He's been there first. So you can call me whatever you want. I just want to see His name glorified. I just want to see His name put above every other name. We glorify God when our witness reflects the character of Christ. We glorify God when our responses to suffering demonstrate that He is gladly our hope and our glory and our joy and our strength. That He's the one who looks big and we look small. So let me ask you this. If someone were to look at the way that you respond to suffering, would they see Christ? Would they see Christ so clearly? Do they see His character? Do they see the hope that He provides? Do they see you relying on Him and glorifying Him, going to Him in prayer? Peter commands us to to glorify. Use your suffering as an opportunity to make much of God. Use your suffering as a platform to show people that you are nothing and that He is everything, that He means so much to you. The hope that you have in Christ must be visible in, a, in the way that you face suffering and explicit in the way that you talk about it. I have a ways to go on that, I'll be honest. Do a little personal inventory for you. When we choose to face suffering with worship, it, it can be, 
greatly benefit our witness for Christ. We have a different perspective on suffering than those who would insult us in the name of Christ. So Peter describes that perspective in verse 17, this perspective that we need to have. He says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Peter's saying, this fiery trial that has come upon you to test you, that's God's judgment of you. And it is now, it's in this time, it, it is time now for the judgment of God's people in whom He has chosen to dwell, the household of God. Now this word for judgment in this context does not only mean condemnation. I think very often we think of judgment and we immediately put that in the same realm as condemnation. But, but this word can, can mean both negative and positive judgment. The, the judgment Peter's referring to here is the fiery trial that tests us. God is using the fiery trial to prove and to purify His church. He's melting away every source of hope but Christ. He's burning our idols so that our worship belongs to Christ alone. God is judging us now through the test of suffering so that on the final day of judgment, we will stand firm with Him. Faith purified, hope fulfilled, rejoicing and glad in His presence for all eternity. As we rejoice in glorifying Christ in the heat of suffering now and we're not consumed, we can know that we will stand with Him when the final judgment comes. But I want to be very clear. It will not be so for everyone. It will not be so for everyone. If the fiery trial comes upon the house of God and we are saved through it, what will happen to those who do not obey the gospel of God? What will happen to those who have not turned from their sin and trusted Jesus as their Savior and Lord, who have said, Jesus is my salvation. I'm not looking anywhere else for my salvation. What will happen to those who have not found their refuge in Jesus? You see, the same fires of judgment that prove our faith will consume those who do not share the same faith. When our idols are stripped away and we have faith in Christ, Christ will prove to be enough. But for those who have not submitted their lives to Jesus, who have not obeyed the gospel, their idols are burned away and there is nothing left to stand on. And before the judgment seat of Christ, they will be naked and their sin exposed. And they will receive the righteous condemnation of God. If the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? He's quoting the Greek translation of of Proverbs 11.31. If the righteous is repaid on earth, now, how much more the right wicked and the sinner? We may endure suffering now, We may endure God's judgment now, but it is nothing compared to the eternal conscious torment of hell awaiting those who do not obey Christ. And so we glorify. We glorify because suffering can benefit our witness. We glorify Christ because our hearts break. Our hearts break when we think of the judgment that is coming against our friends and our family members, and our neighbors, and that other parent on their kid's soccer team. Our hearts break because we want them to make much of Jesus. Because we've seen His work in our own lives and we know that we are just scarcely saved. Undeserving. Purified only by fire. We long for them to know Him. And if you're sitting here this morning and you're like, yeah, I I just don't get these people. Like, I don't get why they sing. That's kind of weird. And I don't get why they raise their hands. That's kind of strange. And and, and like, maybe you're going to go home and you're going to poke fun at us. And that's fine. We don't care. I don't understand why they're listening to this guy talk for so long. Like, 
I want to tell you this. Like, we do it because we know and we love Jesus. And we want you to know and love Him too. We do it because He's suffered and He's died for us and He's taken the condemnation that we deserve. And we, he died in our place and He rose again and He stands seated above all things as Lord. And, and we couldn't do anything to change that. We wouldn't want to because He's the best Lord there is. And we want you to turn and we want you to trust Him with your whole life and devote your whole life to Him because that is your only hope. And you can look at us weird all you want, but we long for you to have the eternal hope that will change your life. And you can turn from your sin and you can trust in Him today. And if that's you, I want to talk to you after the service. Now for you believers who are here, that's a hard perspective to maintain when you're right in the middle of suffering, right? That this fiery trial now is nothing compared to what's coming. In fact, it's downright impossible to maintain in our own flesh. Everything in our flesh is screaming either fight or flight in the face of suffering. Like even secular psychology will tell you that. Just It's the fight or flight response. Either we fight this thing on an earthly level, we get through it, we get to the other side, or we get as far away from the thing as possible. But God says rejoice. Right there in the middle of it, just rejoice. Glorify. And if you're going to do those two things, it's going to take this third worship response. In trust. In trust. Suffering can build your resolve in Christ. I get that this could be a really hard sermon for some of you who are going through some pretty intense suffering right now. And so let verse 19 just be the fuel for all of it, okay? Just lean right into this verse. Look at verse 19. It says, Therefore, let those who suffer according to the flesh, I mean, sorry, according to God's will, entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. If we aren't careful, suffering can greatly diminish our resolve to do good. Have you ever experienced that? You're just like, man, based on all that I'm going through, I just don't feel like it today. Peter has talked a lot about doing good in this letter. I don't know if you've noticed this, but let me just run it down for you. Uh, In chapter 2, verse 12, he says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Chapter 2, verse 14 and 15, he said that we are to live as good citizens under human authorities because that's why those governments are in place to reward those who do good and to punish those who do evil. And by doing good, we put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In chapter 2, verse 20, he said that if you do good and you suffer for it, specifically he's talking in the workplace there, uh, God looks upon you with grace. He draws near to that lowly place. Chapter uh, 3, verse 6, Peter says that the godly women who seek to do good in their marriages by putting their hope in God... Are, are, are the example to follow. In chapter 3, verse 11, Peter says that if we want to love life and see good days, we should turn from evil and do good. In chapter 3, verse 16, we're to give an answer for the hope that is within us with a good conscience so that people see our good behavior and our accusers are put to shame. In chapter 3, verse 17, we learn that it is better to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Like, how much do you think Peter and God speaking through Peter care about us doing good? He wants us to keep going in this. And if we aren't careful, suffering can greatly diminish our resolve to do good. In fact, suffering can cause us to run the exact opposite direction of doing good. 
Sometimes when we're suffering, we, we seek to ease the pain by indulging our passions. And we eat too much and we drink too much and we indulge in sexual sin and we allow ourselves to explode in anger. and Like whatever your thing is. Sometimes we can kind of try to justify unrighteous living by excusing it away. Like, like I'm just going through a really hard time right now and, and I, I shouldn't act this way, but God's going to understand. And Sometimes suffering keeps us from doing things that we're called to do. Oh, I'll, sh- I'll start showing hospitality like we talked about last Sunday. I'll start showing that when, when this whole situation over here clears up a bit. I'll start participating as a member in our church when my life is a little bit more in control. Suffering can greatly diminish our resolve to do good. And so Peter calls us to this worship response. He says, entrust. Entrust. Actively release control of your life to the one who created you and who remains faithful to you. Believe that He's going to fulfill every promise. Believe that He is the source of your hope. In Him alone can you have the confident expectation of eternal joy and walk through your suffering under the careful protection of a faithful Creator. Nothing can touch you when you realize that the promises of God that Peter has recounted already in this book are true. That, that what he said in, in, in chapter 1 is true. According to His great mercy, He's caused you to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading and kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That is not an empty promise that we are to read in the worship halls of our church on a Sunday morning. That is an active promise that is to carry you through the worship halls of your life as you walk through your work week. As you parent your kids. As you relate to your spouse. As you study your studies. So as you face the fears of of sharing the gospel with a good friend, you entrust yourself to your faithful creator. You say, God, I'm doing this out of obedience to you. I know it could really go bad for me. I, I know I could lose this friendship, but I am believing that the inheritance that you have in heaven that is imperishable and undefiled and unfading is better. And I'm going to remain faithful to you. As you fulfill your role in your marriage when it's hard and your spouse is making it really difficult, you say, God, my hope is in you. And not my spouse. It's not in my own plan and my ways of thinking better. It's in your plan above my own. When you're dealing with an unfair teacher at school and, and they've, they, they've challenged you in some way that's against your faith and, you, and yet you know you're called to submit yourself to God. You entrust yourself to God and you do what He says is good. And you deal with the consequences of suffering knowing that He is going to be with you in it. When you're afraid that you might lose your job and your source of income for standing with Christ for speaking about Him. You say, I'm, I'm entrusting. I'm entrusting myself to you. I don't know the outcomes like I think I do. We think, we think that things are so guaranteed. But we think, like, if I do this, then it's definitely going to happen this way. God knows the outcomes. Just take the next step in obedience. The next step in obedience. God is faithful. He created you. He knows what's best for you. You can entrust yourself to Him. And so as we think about our brothers and sisters in China who are going through all this intense persecution, and we ask, like, how do they do it? Could I stand in my faith if I were in their shoes? We can begin to answer that question by looking at the suffering in our own lives, and hopefully we've been able to do that over the last hour or so. 
Do you face suffering with worship or worry? Do you rejoice that suffering is bringing you closer to Christ or despair because your idols are being stripped away from you? Do you face suffering by glorifying God through your witness in Christ's name or or by hiding your identification with Christ or worse, turning to evil? Do you face suffering by entrusting yourselves to a, a faithful creator and stay in the course of His call in your life to do good. Let's pray, and, and as the worship team comes, let's just have a little bit of a time of reflection. Those questions that I just asked you are at the bottom of your notes, and you can just uh, use them as, uh, as an opportunity to just ask the Lord those questions. Lord, show me. Show me where I stand on this whole issue of suffering. Show me where, where I, I've... I've allowed my suffering to eclipse my view of who you are. Show me where I can grow and change my thinking about suffering. But then also use this as a time to rejoice and glorify and and trust. Whatever you're going through right now, let's pray. Father, we want to entrust ourselves to you. We want to bring you great glory. We want to know the joy that is found in leaning on you in the hard times. And we want to be ready to face whatever you would call in our lives. Whether that's persecution or famine or physical trial or harm, sickness, grief. We want to face it in you. And so I pray in this moment that you would strengthen our faith, strengthen our hearts. Strip everything away so that all that we see is you. Help us to see ourselves clearly, but even more, help us to see you clearly. Let's take a few moments before the Lord. Thank you for listening to Oak Hill Fellowship Church. Stay connected with us by finding us on social media or by joining us Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. Until then, remember that you are loved.